Hello and welcome to the next exciting installment of the Blake revision class. So we're going to look at Tutirza today on page 91. I'm going to go back to A Little Girl Lost next time. I want to focus on Tutirza because it's a particularly complicated poem. Uh, one of the trickiest in the whole collection. And in fact, it wasn't even included in the original Songs of Innocence and Experience. Blake added it 12 years later, uh, and it's really baffled critics ever since. So it's one that's uh, tempting to ignore, but actually I think it could be a really great one to write about because um, it isn't straightforward. There are all sorts of levels of complexity, and it shed some interesting light on some of the other poems that we've been studying. So I think the first question to ask ourselves is, who is Tirza? And as so often in Blake, uh, what he does is he takes a, an image from the Bible or a word from the Bible and then interprets it in his own particular way, incorporates it into his own particular mythology. So I imagine that uh, you've probably been reading the book of Numbers quite extensively. Uh, so if you look at Numbers 27 in the Old Testament, you'll read this. Then drew near the daughters of Zelophehad, the son of Hepher, son of Gilead, son of Machir, son of Manasseh, from the families of Manasseh, the son of Joseph. The names of his daughters were Malah, Noah, Hoglah, Milcah, and Tirzah. And they stood before Moses and before Eleazar the priest and before the leaders and all the congregation at the door of the tent of meeting, saying, Our father died in the wilderness. He was not among the company of those who gathered themselves together against the Lord in the company of Korah, but died for his own sin. And he had no sons. Why should the name of our father be taken away from his family because he had no son? Give to us a possession among our father's brethren. Moses brought their case before the Lord, and the Lord said to Moses, The daughters of Zelophehad are right. You shall give them possession of an inheritance among their father's brethren, and cause the inheritance of their father to pass to them. And you shall say to the people of Israel, If a man dies and has no son, then you shall cause his inheritance to pass to his daughter. And if he has no daughter, then you shall give his inheritance to his brothers. And if he has no brothers, then you shall give his inheritance to his father's brothers. And if his father has no brothers, then you shall give his inheritance to his kinsmen, that is next to him of his family, and he shall possess it. And it shall be to the people of Israel a statute and ordinance, as the Lord commanded Moses. And then the next part of Numbers is when Moses is told by God to go up the mountain and see the land which is going to be given to the people of Israel, Israel itself, and uh, then Moses is going to die. So it's a really significant moment in the story. So what's going on with these, uh, with these daughters? Well, they are in danger of being dispossessed. Their, their family name is in danger of being wiped out because their father died in the wilderness as they were traveling from, from Egypt to Israel. So they want to inherit the land, and God agrees. God allows them to inherit the land. So that's a significant moment, partly because it means that uh, the families, the tribes, the 12 tribes of Israel, um, 
are going to survive. The land is going to be passed on either to the, the, the sons or through the daughters or to brothers. The, the tribe is going to survive. It's going to get its allocation of land in perpetuity. Now for Blake, the key point here is that these uh, these daughters and tears are in particular, the last one who is named, are tied to the land. They're associated with uh, stuff, with the world, and not with the spirit. There's one other reference to tears in the Old Testament. It's the name of the first capital city of the, the southern kingdom of Israel, after the northern kingdom of Judah split from it. Um, and eventually the southern kingdom was, was wiped out, and the northern kingdom, which, which contained Jerusalem, uh, was re-established. And that was the, the centre of Israel. So again, there's this sense of fragility. There's this sense of tears are being associated with something that doesn't last. Now what we see in Blake a lot is this almost Gnostic sense of the difference between the world of the flesh, the world of the senses uh, on the one hand, and on the other hand, the world of the spirit, the world of the imagination, the world of the soul. And Blake is all for the world of the spirit and the soul and the imagination. So if we think about this poem in terms of a contrast between the material and the spiritual, it begins to make a little more sense. So let's read it with that in mind. To Tirza. Whate'er is born of mortal birth must be consumed with the earth to rise from generation free, and what have I to do with thee? The sexes sprung from shame and pride, blowed in the morning, in evening died, but mercy changed death into sleep, the sexes rose to work and weep. Thou mother of my mortal part, with cruelty didst mould my heart, and with false self-deceiving tears didst bind my nostrils, eyes and ears, didst close my tongue in senseless clay, and me to mortal life betray. The death of Jesus set me free. Then what have I to do with thee? So it seems as if Tirzah in Blake's mythology represents uh, the mother of his mortal part and its five senses. So Tirzah represents the material world. And what's the problem with the material world? Well, he sets it out in the first couple of lines. Whate'er is born of mortal birth must be consumed with the earth. It's born and it dies. So in order to escape from the material, he's got to break free from Tirza, to rise from generation free, then what have I to do with thee? So this is a protest poem. This is a, a poem about Blake, or the speaker of the poem, to be more accurate, wanting to be able to escape, to get away from this mythological feat, uh, character, Tirza. The second stanza then develops the idea a little more, and this is where Blake really kind of becomes slightly more uh, heretical. The sex is sprung from shame and pride. So in, in his view of mythology, that, that division into male and female seems to have come as, as part of the fall, uh, as an aspect of the shame and pride. Blowed in the morning, in evening died. This subject mortality. But mercy changed death into sleep, the sexes rose to work and weep. So he then gives his first reference to 
the spiritual in particular to God, that sense that mercy is able to change that death into sleep and they're able to uh, experience a, 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 a sort of resurrection. The sexes rose to work and weep. The third stanza is particularly interesting though. Tirza is the mother of my mortal part. She with cruelty didst mould my heart, and with false self-deceiving tears didst bind my nostrils, eyes and ears. She's got this spiritual power, she's got this um, almost divine power, she's uh, like a demiurge, and yet she is a cruel, a cruel mother. She moulded the heart, but the tears were false and self-deceiving. And so we've got a, a real protest here against a mother figure. Now that should remind us of plenty of other poems, but it sets those other poems in context. Whereas earlier it just seemed as though Blake was taking the, the side of the child against the parent figure. Here, the mother is something more than any ordinary human, and therefore the protest against that mother is greater as well. And what did Tears do in particular? Well, According to the final stanza, tears of disclose my tongue in senseless clay and me to mortal life betray. He's condemned to mortality and in particular he's condemned to a physical mortality. He's condemned to the material world. And therefore the only response to that is through the death of Jesus, which sets him free. But it sets him free in a, a slightly unconventional way. It sets him free for the realm of the spirit, that's true but not through the, 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 the material, as in Orthodox Christianity, but despite it. It's a much more Gnostic vision. And again, in typical Blakean fashion, at least in the Songs of Experience, uh, he ends with a question, then what have I to do with thee? The assumption is nothing. Presumably I don't want to have anything more to do with you. But also in that sense, he can't, he can't simply shake off, uh, he can't simply shake off Tirza. So, how do we look at the whole poem together? Well, um, one commentary says that uh, one way of understanding it is that Blake has two views of human life. There is life beyond what one can see and touch. Humans have a soul, and imagination, and through the work of Christ are able to access the spiritual reality of their immortal life. That's on the one hand, and on the other hand, the material world is all there is. Humans are merely mortal, earthbound, and governed only by their senses. And if you've got that dichotomy, Blake is very firmly in favour of the first. There is a life beyond what one can see and touch. So again, this is a poem about poetry. It's a poem about the importance of the imagination. But it's a, it's a complicated poem. It's a complex poem. It doesn't sit very well with, with many of the other poems in the in the collection it's no real surprise that it was added later and the protest in it is a protest against mortality itself a protest against the material world itself and so the protest that we see here is on an altogether different scale okay i think you need to look really hard at this one uh, there are all sorts of different possible interpretations but hopefully that's at least plotted one way through it for you good luck